a very good morning to you. A very good morning. My name is Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. If you'd like to grab your coffee, grab a seat, grab a donut. Apparently yesterday was National Donut Day. Did you know that? I think, we, I think the vineyard is single-handedly keeping the donut industry afloat. Not sure that's a good thing. Settle down. Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 uh, Samuel. 1 Samuel. We're going to have a bit of a, a flip through the whole of uh, most of 1 Samuel this morning. So uh, see if you can find it to start with, and then we'll go from there. This morning, over the ne- and, uh, this morning and, uh, and over the next few weeks, what I want us to look at is um, how it is that we uh, handle ourselves when we're facing challenges or when we're facing difficult situations. How do we handle ourselves when we're facing challenges or difficult situations? A few weeks ago, Kate and I came across some material put together by Bill Johnson from um, uh, Bethel. And uh, he was looking at this whole subject. And as we were sort of looking at it, as we were listening to it, we just wondered and got the sense from the Lord that this might actually be a word um, from the Lord for us all. And so um, we wanted to press into it a little bit more. And I think really it's because the, the reality is that whilst we may not get to choose if we face challenges, whilst uh, we may not get to choose when we face difficulties, whilst we uh, may not get very much say in uh, what kind of trials and tests we are going to have to face, we, we do have the ability to decide how we're going to respond to them, how we're going to handle them. And two of the things that can so easily get in, they kind of get in the way, two things that can hold us back from handling ourselves well in the face of challenge and difficulty, two things that can very easily creep into our hearts and our minds and, and slowly but surely cripple us when we're facing really tricky and challenging situations um, are bitterness and disappointment. Bitterness and disappointment. And, and bitterness uh, sort of creeps in because um, we resent. It's very, very easy for us to resent the challenge or the difficulty or the trial or the obstacle or the situation or the circumstance that we're facing. And so bitterness just creeps in. And it's sort of, we don't know where it comes from. But it creeps in and it slowly but surely eats us away from the inside out. Uh, and it kind of leaves us just feeling sort of like a shell, uh, just drained and empty of life itself. And then on the other hand, you've got disappointment. And disappointment creeps in because disappointment is that thing of, oh, I'm facing this situation, I'm facing this circumstance. And You know, I look at my life and things just haven't turned out the way that I thought that they were going to. Things haven't turned out the way that I hoped that they would have done or how I've imagined. And um, the disappointment that we feel that just sort of creeps in, we don't know where it comes from, but it just creeps in, that that can quite literally make us sick. Uh, The writer of Proverbs says this in in Proverbs chapter 13. He says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. And so there's that disappointment, that sense of hope deferred when we experience um, disappointments. 
And so how, um, how are we to handle ourselves when we're facing some kind of circumstance or some kind of situation um, that has the potential to make us, if we don't handle ourselves correctly, either um, bitter on the one hand or, or resentful on the other, or, or actually both? You know, how do we handle ourselves when we're faced with um, the disappointment that, you know, that we're just... We're just not seeing or experiencing the things that I'd hoped that we would have experienced by now. Or we're not seeing or experiencing the things that we used to experience in the past. Um, what happens when we're facing circumstances or situations that can make it so easy for us to get um, discouraged? So that we're sort of looking and scratching our heads going, where, where did I go wrong? You know, or, or actually, what did I do wrong to, that's kind of led me to this place? And I'm now in this challenging situation. And this morning what I want us to do is I want us to have a look at um, some of the difficulties David faced, uh, particularly in the run-up and in the lead-up to his becoming king and some of the ways in which he handled himself despite um, those uh, situations that he was facing. Uh, and in the face, when you look at it, actually, when you, you read the story of David in, in 1 Samuel, you, you see some pretty, there's some pretty serious challenges that he is up against. And um, I think and I hope that we will find and draw encouragement, there's encouragement for all of us uh, that we can take from the life of David. And, and the, one of the reasons for that is because David, when you look at the Old Testament, you see lots of types. They're sort of prototypes in the Old Testament. And David is a bit of a prototype for, um, for us as uh, believers. And so we can draw some encouragement from, from the life of David. When you read this account of uh, David's life in 1 Samuel, um, and sometimes it's just good just to read, just sit down, grab a Bible, start at the beginning of 1 Samuel, just read it all the way through, one sitting, and, and you just get this big overview of what's going on in his life. And when you, when you read the story of David, you actually you, you look at it through the lenses and you go, actually, it wasn't all plain sailing. Uh, far from it. Here was this man after God's own heart, and we know that he's been called and he's been set apart by God to be king and to be priest and to be prophet to the nation of Israel. But boy, was it hard won. Was it hard won? You know, um, despite this incredible call of God on his life, David has to go through all of these challenges and trials, some serious adversity before any of the fulfillment of God's promises and God's call on his life comes to pass. And I want us to look at uh, some of the challenges uh, that David faced, how he handles himself uh, through it all so that we can learn something from his example, um, so that we might learn about how it is that we handle ourselves when we're facing some of the kinds of circumstances and the difficulties and the challenges that um, life throws at us all. So how did all this come about? We're going to do a bit of a whistle-stop tour of the life of David this morning. Um, so uh, strap yourselves in, dig out your Bibles, and uh, let's go. You look back at the life of David, and when we think about the life of David, usually what, we, what springs to mind, um, you know, apart from this ruddy chap sitting in a field, tending his sheep, playing his harp, and killing a lion with the other hand, um, usually what kind of springs to mind is, is, is that, that, that moment where he's anointed, uh, he's set apart by the, um, by the prophet Samuel uh, to be king. And we remember that, you know, that he's, he eventually is in the lineup and Samuel comes and anoints him and then he's going to be king. And, and, and you'd be kind of forgiven for thinking that, well, you know, if, if a prophet like Samuel, right, he's like the real deal, 
um, you know, shows up and wanders up to you and he's got his horn full of oil and he anoints you with, with, with the, the oil and says, you, you know, you're going to be the king. Um, you'd kind of be forgiven for thinking that that's going to happen. Like, uh, A, it's definitely going to happen and B, it's going to happen quite soon. So, great, you know, this is, this is going to happen at least in the foreseeable future. Well, um, with David, it took like 10 to 15 years. From that moment where um, Samuel comes along and anoints him, it takes about 10 or 15 years before he's actually st- he steps into the fullness of all that God has called him to, and he finally becomes king. And in this interim period of time, this, this sort of 10 to 15 years from Samuel showing up and David actually becoming king, uh, David's properly put through the mill. He's really run uh, ragged. And, and he's being, I think he's being trained, and I think he's being equipped, and I think he's being prepared, and I think he's being readied um, for all that it is that God is calling him uh, into. And it was seriously challenging. Um, now, we would never say that God causes terrible things to happen in our lives. Okay? We don't believe that. Um, but what we do believe, what I believe, is that, I think the Bible teaches, is that the Lord uh, can certainly use challenging situations in our life. And he can turn those things around, and he can turn around things that the enemy has intended to harm, and he can turn those things around for good. Um, and for David, some of the difficulties, some of the rejections, some of the things that he um, faced, they actually start right at the beginning of this story. They start right at this the outset where Samuel comes along um, to anoint him. Uh, you'll remember uh, back in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, this is where this sort of bit of it starts, David's out uh, and he's in a field, he's minding his own business, tending his father, Jesse's sheep and everything's going fine. And the Lord speaks to the prophet Samuel in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 1 and, and the Lord says basically that he has rejected Saul as king. He's rejected, the Lord has rejected Saul as king. And he says, the Lord says to Samuel, he says, Samuel, go and fill your horn and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And so um, Samuel goes off and he goes off to Jesse uh, the Bethlehemite and he says, um, I'm, I'm here to anoint one of your sons. I don't know which one it is, so kind of you know, get them all out and line them all up. And we'll see what happens when the Lord tells me which one it is. Then we'll work out which one it is. And does that sound like a plan? That's uh, how kings are made, apparently. Um, and one of Jesse's sons is going to succeed um, Saul. The trouble is, David's not even in the lineup. David's not even included in the lineup. His own father doesn't include him in the list. So when Samuel says, get all your sons, Jesse gets all his sons. Apart from David, David's just left, he's ignored, he's left, he's overlooked. And what happens in, 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 in verse 10 in chapter 16, is Samuel says to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Um, and Samuel says, are all the young men here? And then Jesse says, oh yes, mm. oh yes, there remains the youngest. Oh, and there he is, tending the sheep. This, this sort of afterthought to this poor young chap, poor David. And um, so basically, when no one else makes the cut, David is finally brought out. (laughs) Well, I know he's the only one we've got left. But he's the one that's brought out, and he's prophesied over, and uh, he's anointed as the next king. And then in in verse 12, it says this, The Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. It's not a great start for the young David. 
uh, he's overlooked by his own father. He's left to look after the sheep, you know, the, um, while the rest of his brothers get a shot of being king. You know, when we're looking for um, opportunities to minister inner healing to people in our small groups, uh, David will be right up there, right? And would need some kind of probably therapy and counseling, a sozo or two, uh, for the fact that uh, his father's not really kind of treated him very well. And so this is this first wound, if you like, that David experiences. And then these, these wounds keep happening in this whole process. So what happens is, uh, in chapters you know, 16 onwards, the rest of chapter 16, uh, David goes into and he enters the, ho- the household of Saul. Saul is the king. And David, you know, David's really skilled on the harp and the lyre. You know, he sits in the field playing. And um, he, he's, he, he's called upon by the king, effectively, to go into Saul's household and to minister, to play, usually when Saul, the king, is being afflicted by a spirit. Saul's a bit of a grumpy dude. Um, but uh, David is, is, is called upon to play while the king is being afflicted by this spirit, and it, it seems to calm the king. Um, and so what happens is David goes into the household of Saul, and he lives alongside. And Saul's pretty, I mean, Saul is pretty crazy. He's a pretty crazy king. And um, it just read, you can read the story. Uh, he, you know, he, he's... Um, He's unpredictable, let's just say that, even at the best of times. Uh, one minute Saul is saying uh, of David, uh, 1 Samuel 18, uh, six, 16 verse 22, it says, let David stand before me, uh, for he's found favor in my eyes. Uh, and then by, you, know, you flip on a chapter, and Saul is in a jealous rage, and he, he's literally throwing spears at David, trying to kill him. You know, and he, he, he says, I will pin David to the wall. And he throws this spear. David just manages to duck it at the last moment. You've got this strange thing going on with Saul. But when you live in that situation, imagine this is the young David. Here he's got this, um, this, this situation started to emerge. He's been overlooked by his own family. And now he's sort of in the service of this king who wants to actually impale you against the wall with the spear. It's kind of like, do you know what? This is quite a stressful work environment. I'm not sure that I need this, right? You know, like I'm just playing my guitar, trying to calm you down. Like, you need to take a chill pill. Uh, but I honestly, I don't think you're paying me enough to dodge the spears. So you, you start to kind of wonder what it is that you've done. And you start to think to yourself, I'm not sure I really want to be in this environment. Have I done something to offend you? I didn't realize I'd done something to offend you. But the, the, the spear thing is quite a violent reaction. It's also quite dangerous, actually. Please don't do that. Um, it's going to do something to your character. You're in that situation, and someone's lobbing spears at you. It's going to kind of either make you or break you. You're going to pick up the spear and throw it back, or you're going to, you're going to respond somehow. And it's going to either make you or break you. It's going to do something, potentially, and one would hope, to establish your character and to do some good things and to strengthen you and to demonstrate your character and your ability to... Um, uh, to stand and work through the challenge of that situation. Um, and, you know, as we look at some of these challenging situations that David found himself in, re- overlooked by his family, you know, um, uh, uh, regularly um, having spears flung at him by Saul, one of the things that's really important for us to remember is that in the midst of these difficult situations, um, it actually demonstrates, bizarrely, and counterintuitively, it actually demonstrates the, 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 the grace of God on David's life. And when we're in a situation where we're facing difficulty or challenge, one of the things we need to do is we need to look for the presence of the grace of God 
in that moment and in that situation. Because what God is doing and allowing through the challenge that we're facing is he's actually preparing us and he's readying us and he's training us and he's equipping us for something even greater than we could ever ask or imagine. And so one of the things that we need to look for and be on the lookout for is actually God's grace in those moments. So here's David. He's anointed to be king um, one day, and he's hanging out with Saul. He's in Saul's household. He's hanging out with Saul and his family. Uh, he's become really good friends with um, the king's son, uh, Jonathan. He, he's, he's this great soldier. He's, he's, he's fought and, and beaten Goliath. He's, he's worn Saul's armor, and it doesn't fit him, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he, he's become an incredibly successful warrior. He's so successful that all the women in, in, in chapter 18, verse 7, they all get out on the streets and they're singing, oh, Saul has killed his thousands, you know, but David has killed his tens of thousands. That wasn't the tune. I don't know what the tune was. <laughs> it's probably a better tune than that. But that's basically how it went. Um, and, you know, when you're of Saul's disposition, it's not really a good thing that you really want to hear. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. So Saul, who's already sort of on the edge a little bit, he gets a little bit <laughs> irritated um, by that, and we have a few more spear-throwing incidents. He seems to be quite partial to throwing spears at David. Um, and this whole story begins to unfold of how um, Saul becomes incredibly jealous of David and is threatened by David. And so what happens is Saul, uh, David is, is literally fearing for his life. And so he has to flee Saul's household. And he's been in Saul's household. These deep and, and, and close and intimate relationships have been established. Uh, and um, he's become best friends with Saul's son, with Jonathan. He, he's been part of Saul's household for some time. Uh, they've sort of become like his family. Um, David by now is also married to Saul's daughter, one of Saul's daughters, Michal. Uh, so he's effectively become the king's son-in-law. But... Um, the situation is getting so bad. He's, get, he's getting so much kind of um, kickback from Saul. Saul's so jealous. He's so um, uh, threatened by David that David has to flee. Um, in, uh, in chapter 19, it says this, uh, Michal, David's wife, says to David, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So I think you should go, basically. So what happens is David flees. He, he flees. He has to flee for his life. This is the challenge that he's facing. And he goes off and he settles in, um, in, in, in the, the cities of Israel. That's where he goes off to. And he's, he's settled in the cities of Israel. And, and you, just, you can read all this. If you read uh, 1 Samuel 16 onwards, you'll, you'll, you'll catch up with all of this. Um, he goes off and he leaves Saul's household and he goes and ends up in the cities of Israel. And when he's there, um, he's there for a little while. And then he hears this rumor that Saul, who's so knocked by David, is going to hunt him down, basically. And Saul has gathered his armies. He's gathered his armies, and he's coming out on a, on a raiding party, and he's coming to find David. He's going to hunt him down, and he's going to kill him. And David's in, this, in, the, in these cities, and he's in this city. He's in Israel. He's amongst his own people. Um, and he's like, he hears this rumor that, David, that Saul's coming to get him. And so David inquires of the Lord, and he says to the Lord, you know, um, I'm in the city. Lord, are these people going to hand me over to Saul when Saul comes along? And the Lord says to David, yeah, they, they are. They're going to hand you over. David's like, great. Awesome. So Saul's coming, and this lot are going to just go, here, here's David on a platter. So he's again in this kind of challenging situation. And so what is he, what's he going to do? The only thing that he can do, he has to flee again. 
has to flee again for his life. So um, David's been overlooked by his own family. He's now he's been rejected by Saul's household, okay, because of the jealousy. And now he's being rejected by um, Israel, who because they're going to hand him over um, to King Saul. So now, having left his family, having left Saul's household, and now having left the cities of Israel, there's not really many very places for him to go, right? And so um, he finds himself out in the wilderness. And he's out in the wilderness, he's in the middle of nowhere, and what happens is um, all of the rejects of society, all the misfits, all the kind of weirdos, to be honest, um, they all gather around David for some reason, like 400 of them or something. In, um, in chapter 22, it says this, David therefore departed from there, this was the city, and escaped to the cave of Adullam, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, it's always a winner, and everyone who was discontented, gathered to him. Great, thanks. And David became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him and their families. Um, there's something about all these kind of, kind of rabble that they could see something about David. They could see that there was something on him and they're drawn to him. And what happens is David pours himself out. He's a military man. He's a soldier. He's a leader. Uh, he's going to be a king, and so he invests himself, and he pours himself out into these 400 men and their families, and they follow him around the wilderness, right, where, he's, where he is. And, and what happens is they, they finally settle in this city. Um, but bizarrely enough, it's not a city that belongs to the Israelites. It's a city that belongs to the Philistines, who are the enemies of Israel, right? But David has been so hounded and harassed and sort of, uh, chased down. There's nowhere else for him to go apart from almost to the enemies of Israel. So he ends up in this um, city belonging to the Philistines. And he says in, verse, in, in chapter 27, verse 1, he says this. He says, there is nothing better for me than that I should spe uh, speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I should escape out of his hand. So he goes off to... Um, the Philistines with his rabble of, of men and their families. And so now here he is living with the Philistines. Uh, and in the midst of it all, um, he must know, and he knows that he's been anointed and that he's been called to be king. But, you know, you reckon by now, the number of years have passed, you'd be like, I think Samuel actually, I think, you know that, you know prophets, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. I think that was one of Samuel's duff prophecies, right? Like, it's not looking very much like I'm, you know, on the, the road to becoming king. Like, quite the opposite. I'm, I've been living in the wilderness, for goodness sake, with all these strange people, and now I'm living in, like, a Philistine city. So he, he does this thing one, one night. He, he goes out to war with the Philistines against the, the enemies of the Philistines, against um, the, their enemies. And, and the Philistine leaders, he's been living with them for a while, and they're really, really impressed with him. They think he's amazing. And he's like, you know, isn't this David? Like, you know, David who like, has killed his tens of thousands. Like, he's now living with us. Like, he's a good guy to have on your side. This is marvelous. And so David is wanting to go out with the Philistines and fight the Philistine, um, the, 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 the enemies of the Philistines. And, um, and he's got all these guys around him, and they're all going to go out together, and they're going to go out. And then something happens in chapter 29 whereby basically someone from the Philistine camp, one of the Philistine generals, wakes up and goes, hold on a second, hold on, hold on, time out. Let's, can we just have a little chat amongst ourselves? See that guy over there, that guy David, right? 
he's, he's saying that he's going to come to war with us. But what happens if, while we're in the middle of the battle, he turns against us and kills us all, right, and puts our heads on platters and then hands them over to Israel? Won't they be so pleased and delighted that he's turned on the Philistines like this and they'll install him as king? Do you know what? I don't think it's a good idea for us to go to battle with this guy. And so the leaders go, oh, yeah, that's actually quite a good point, isn't it? Um, but, you know, he's a good guy. I think he's a good guy. It's like, yeah, I know, but like, wait until you're in battle with him, like, and he slits your throat. It's like, yes, good point. Okay, let's not risk it this time. So um, that's all in 29. And, 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 and basically what happens is they then too, the Philistines, the Philistines reject him. So we don't want you. So where have we got to in David's traumas? So since he's been prophesied that he's going to be anointed to be king, great, awesome, can I go tomorrow to the palace? It's like, well, no, not, not quite. Right? First, you've got to be overlooked by your own family because they don't consider you sort of worthy to be put in the lineup. It's like, okay, well, I can get over that. Right? Then you're going to go and live with Saul, but actually now David's been rejected by Saul and Saul's household um, uh, because uh, uh, Saul is jealous of him. And he's, got, he's had all of these deep and close relationships, but he's, he's lost them all. So he's rejected by Saul's household. So he leaves this home where he's been celebrated and he's been accepted, and he flees for his life, and he goes and lives with the, the, his own people. He goes and lives with the Jews. And he's living with them, and then actually what happens is they reject him because they're going to hand him over to Saul when Saul's armies come. And then he goes off and he flees into the wilderness and he's got all these weird and wonderful and wacky people around him uh, and they've got nowhere to go before they end up living with the Philistines. So they're living with the Philistines um, and even when he wants to go to war with them against their enemies, even they reject him. So his family, Saul's household, um, you know, uh, the, uh, Israel, the Philistines, they're all rejecting him. And uh, what happens then in, in 1 Samuel Chapter 30 is, you know, David's gone with all his men to um, sign up with the Philistines and go out to war with them. And the Philistines say, actually, do you know what? We don't think we need your help. Very, you know, thanks very much. Go home. David and all his men go home. What happens in, um, in 1 Samuel 30 is, is they go home and they get to the top of the hill overlooking the city where they've been living. The Philistines have given them a city to live in. And all they see is smoke and desolation. All they see is smoke and desolation and... Um, all the women and all the children have been carried away. And um, David's men, who David has been pouring himself out into and, and out for all these years, these, these guys, they literally, they eventually become the mighty men of um, David. You know, they become some of the most skilled warriors on the face of the earth. They, they, these skilled fighting men, they, they see all of the loss and they see, they, they go through all of this incredible grief and they go through all this incredible pain. Um, and David hears them talking among themselves, saying, let's kill David. So he's overlooked by his family. He's been rejected by Saul. He's been rejected by, by Israel. He's been rejected by the Philistines. And now he's even being rejected by the very guys that he's been serving for all these years. And this is, this is the crux of it. This is the moment where everything that David is and everything that David believes that he's been called to is actually being tested and, called in, and, and brought into question. This is, if you like, David's Garden of Gethsemane moment. This is the point at which it's like, oh, really? Like, is there another way? Do I have, it's like, is there another way where he's wrestling and grappling with, is this what I've actually been called to? Is this the, really the calling on my life? 
Is it really supposed to be this miserable? Is it supposed to be this challenging? Is it supposed to be this hard? And it's this question in the moment of how is he going to handle it? How is he going to respond? Um, because David is being tested. He's being tested. You see, everything that we long for, everything that we yearn for, you know, when we, when we say that we want, you know, we really want to see more of the kingdom of God in our lives. We want to see more of the kingdom of God in the lives of the people around us. We want to grow in our anointing. We want to grow in our spiritual authority. We want to grow in our discernment, grow in whatever area it is. All the things that we long for and yearn for and have been praying for. Well, God longs for us to have those things too. God yearns for us to have those things too. In fact, he probably wants us to have those things more than we want them. But he can't and he won't give us something that weighty. He won't load us down with something that kind of heavy. David is being called to be king here. You know, there's a, there's a, that's a weighty calling. There's a weighty responsibility. And um, whatever it is that God is calling us into, he's not going to load us down with that, the weight of that calling um, if we're standing on a foundation that's weak and fragile. He just won't do it. He doesn't do it. And, and the foundation has to be tested. God has to see what we can carry. And the only way that he can find out... Um, what we can carry is by testing our foundations. Testing how deep and how strong our foundations are. It's the only way that he, he, he can find out what our characters are really like. The only way that he can find out what's really, really in our hearts, what's really going on with us, is through challenge and difficulty. It's by, by, by putting us sort of in that furnace of challenge and difficulty that we discover who we really are, who our true selves are. It's the old adage of you only find out what's in the toothpaste tube when you squeeze it. It's the same with all of us. We only find out who we really are when we get squeezed. It's like, oh, there must be another way. No. No, please, let there be another way. I don't want to get squeezed anymore. That's why James says it. James says it in, in, in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy. When you face trials of many kinds, count it all joy. Consider it all joy. I mean, is he mad? And the reason he says that is consider it all joy. You count it all joy when you're facing trials of many kinds because this is the way that we're being prepared and readied for all of the stuff that the Lord has for us. He's actually making our foundations deeper and stronger, and he's making us stronger to carry more of the burden and the weight of the anointing and the gifting and the calling that he has and the purpose and the plans that he has for our lives. So when we're facing trials of many kinds, we should go, hooray, I'm being deepened and stretched. It's awesome. Oh, consider it pure joy. Something is being established in us. It's being revealed in us that can carry the weight of God's blessing and his presence on our life. So, okay, here's, oh gosh, here's David, and he's hearing of his own men, and they're going to kill him. Um, these are the same men that he's poured his life out for and he's served. And they're, they're planning on killing him because it's all, the situation's all David's fault. David should have known. He's in charge. Let's blame him, right? Um, and uh, you see what happens here in, um, in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you uh, have a look at this verse, this is verse 3. Um, so David and his men came to the city. There it was, burned with fire. The wives and the sons and their daughters had been taken captive. All the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Uh, David's wives had been taken captive. David is greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him uh, because the soul of all the people was so grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. 
This is the situation that he's facing right now. And then it says this. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David said to Abiathar the priest, bring, me the, uh, bring the ephod to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall, shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. And, and here's the fascinating part of this whole story. David, this is David, his, now, his life is now being threatened. These, these, his troop of 400 have now become 600. And they are threatening, um, they're threatening his life. They're all literally turning against this one man, David. And, and in the middle of that situation, they're plotting against him. You get to see David's response. You get to see David's heart in verse 6. Because the response that David has to that in the moment is, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And it's, it's an absolute turning point. Um, it's the pivot, I think, of this whole story. Because the question for us is, what do we do in these moments where we can't... Um, when we're facing things that we can't explain, when we're facing things that we can't control, uh, when we're facing uh, masses of disappointment, uh, when we're looking at a situation and saying, do you know what, God just hasn't shown up in the way that I thought that he promised that he was going to. He hasn't come through. And I don't know what to do with that. My faith is like, it's not, I, doesn't, I don't think I've got the capacity to deal with that. I don't know what to do with it. You know, all of the sorts of things that all, every single one of us faces at one time or another. What do we do in those moments? Because I, I don't think we'll come into the fullness of all that God has called us into until we learn the lesson of how to handle ourselves well in those situations, of, of, of how, whether we learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God when we're facing that kind of adversity. Because life is going to get hard if it hasn't already. We're all facing all the time some seriously hard um, challenges. We're, we're facing hugely difficult rejections or misunderstandings. And it's not a question of, you know, uh, of if we're going to face these things. It's just a matter of when. And the question is, how well equipped are we to deal with them all? What strategies do we have? What do we do? Well, um, David chooses in this moment to strengthen himself in the Lord. And he strengthens himself in the Lord in verse 6. And the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him, you know, he inquires of the Lord, and the word of the Lord comes to him, and the Lord tells him that uh, he should pursue the troop and that he will overtake them and without fail recover all. Okay? And the Lord will use David to recover all and put things right. And, and that's what happens. That's what happens in that moment. But it's the next bit of the story, actually, that's really striking. It's, it's what happens next after that. What happens next for David is after 10 or 15 years of waiting, David becomes king. David become king, becomes king. And, 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 and here he is in this, more, this point. He's in his darkest and his lowest moment. Um, you know, through all of the challenge that he's been through, through all of the difficulty and the opposition, the fleeing for his life and being overlooked by his own family, the rejection of Saul's household, the rejection from the Israelites, his own people, the rejection from the Philistines, the rejection from all of his own men and their families, the people that he's been serving. Um, this, is, this, this darkest moment, bizarrely, although isn't this sort of how these things work, Bizarrely, this darkest moment is actually the gateway, it's the doorway through which David has to walk. It's the, the path that he has to take 
in order for him to step into the actual fullness of all that God has called him to. It's, it's the step that he needs to take in order for him to become king. All this preparation, all this testing, all this challenge, all these years, it's all been leading to this point of utter misery. Uh, and now when things look like they're actually at their very worst, things are at their bleakest, things are at their most hopeless and their most desperate, um, this is the point when he's at his weakest that actually he's ready now for the weight and the responsibility of becoming king. It's, it's, it's in his darkest hour. It's in the moment whereby he's looking at it and it's like, you know, like if you asked him, he's like, king? Yeah, no chance. Mate, look at me. Seriously. Uh, everyone's tried to kill me all my life. Everyone's rejected me. I'm really not very, I'm not king material. Right? I don't know what happened. I don't know what Samuel was thinking, but he clearly got it wrong. Too much cheese or pizza the night before. And so I'm really not, this is the furthest reality. This is the furthest thing from reality. But that moment actually becomes the launch pad for David to actually step into the fullness of God's calling on his life and his anointing on his life and for him to become king. I sometimes wonder, you know, if only I could have, if only we could get, you know, a drone on our lives. Some aerial view of where we are in relation, uh, where we are on, on our journey with God and on our journey with faith in terms of where we are in relation to just fulfilling our destiny and the destiny of our calling. And of actually arriving at that point whereby we're just about to step into the fullness of all the things that God has promised us over all the years. You know, we look at this kind of from this, uh, this, this aerial view and we discover that we're actually this far away. It's like, oh, you know, you've been traveling on this journey of misery and, and stress for 10 years and you're two steps away. But the trouble is, is we're so broken, we're so exhausted, we're so stressed, we're so depressed, discouraged, that we're just like ready to throw in the town and go, do you know what, I can't be doing this anymore. And they're going, oh, no, you're just two steps, so close. You're just going to leave at the door and you're through. And if we could get this aerial view, if we could look down on our lives, we'd be like, oh, you're so close, keep going. Keep going, keep the faith, keep on keeping on. We'd be shouting at ourselves, going, you can muster the strength from somewhere. Consider it pure joy when you trace face trials of many kinds. You're really close. Don't, don't give in. We need people around us who will encourage us in that moment. We need that encouragement from one another because often it's the people around us who can see how far we are in terms of our journeys and how close we are to stepping into the fullness of our anointing and our calling. And sometimes we need other people who are cheering us on, this great cloud of witnesses saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize which Christ is calling you heavenwards. Um, but if we could get this overview, I think we would, we would press on that a little bit harder. Um, and I think it's by learning how to strengthen himself that David actually endures all of these um, rejections effectively and is able to press in to the fullness of all the Lord has for us. And I think that's the word of the Lord for us. Um, I think it's about how are we strengthening ourselves in the Lord so that we can hear the word of the Lord for us, so that we can step into the fullness of all the things that he's calling us into. And, and, and just quickly, here are a couple of things uh, I, I want us to just think about. Remember when David was back in his fields tending his sheep, you know, killing lions and um, uh, playing his harp and lyre. What David did in that moment was he learned the importance of worship. Okay, so we're thinking about what are the ways in which we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. 
And the first, I think, is worship. David learned the importance of worship. When no one else was around, for no reason, not to get himself to becoming king or to doing anything of any favor, of any significance, David just learned how to worship the Lord. He was motivated and compelled with this desire to do nothing else but just to worship God for his own sake. Um, and uh, as he does this, he has this, he, he has this incredible impact on the Lord. And he gets this incredible favor from the Lord. It's like the story of the woman with the um, alabaster um, jar and oil, you know, the, the oil, the perfume in Mark 4, I think it is. Here's this woman, and she, she spends, she spends a, a year's salary on perfume. And she comes in and she just anoints the feet of Jesus. And this is an incredibly extravagant act of worship. The disciples are so gnarly, they're so angry, they're so cross. It's like, what a terrible waste of money. You know, should it be given to the poor. And they're really cross about it. And she's just got this, this, this incredible, incredible act of worship. She's just pouring herself and all of this, everything out onto the Lord. And, um, and what, what Jesus says of her, is that what she has done will be spoken of her forever. There's this, this, this incredible act of, of worship. And, and David would, would worship in the same way. And it's these, um, it's these incredible acts of worship. It's this, this ability to press in to worship, through which is, which is one of the key ways, I think, in which we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Like what we've just done. I mean, we worship like that this morning, and I kind of I feel strengthened again. I feel like I've strengthened myself again in the Lord because I've, I've got a proper perspective back over the course of this week. You know, my perspective on life is going to get a bit more and more skewed. And I come back here and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. It's like I've just had my compass recalibrated. Um, and worship is, is incredibly important. It's through worship that we interrupt. Eugene Peterson says, worship is us interrupting our preoccupation with ourselves and instead attending to the presence of the Almighty. Worship is about us fixing our eyes on Jesus and not on the challenge of our circumstance, uh, no matter how difficult that they may seem. And it's through worship that we actually are strengthened and we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. It's one of the reasons that worship is so incredibly important to us here in the vineyard, and it always has been. We want to make, and we intentionally make, time and space to lift uh, our, our voices and our hearts and our heads and our eyes and our lives to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what we're doing. And, and, and by doing that, we stop looking at ourselves. We stop looking in, inwards at ourselves and our weakness and our fragility. And what we do is we look outwards at the King and Kings and the Lord of Lords and we go, the universe is in his hands. Okay, that makes my problems a little bit better. Like, like oh, oh, the universe is in his hands. Well, he's definitely got this covered. Because we're speaking truth. We're declaring truth. And we're declaring truth to him and to ourselves. And it realigns us and it reshapes us and it recalibrates us and it roots us and it grounds us and it strengthens us in the Lord. It's incredibly, incredibly important. That's one of the ways in which we, um, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Um, and this is the other way. We strengthen ourselves in the Lord because we're rooted and we're grounded in Scripture. So when we're going through the mill, when we're going through difficult circumstances, more than ever, 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 ever. But it's one of the reasons that we need to know this book when things are going well so that we can call it to mind, so the Spirit of God can call it to mind when we're in adversity. You know, sometimes I think of the Scriptures as being like a lighthouse, right? And when we are 
when we are um, when there's fair weather, we're 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 investing in the lighthouse and we're putting making sure there's oil in the lighthouse and everything is ready uh, to go. And then when we find ourselves in difficulty, all of that preparation, all of that time that we spent pouring over the scriptures means that the, the light in the lighthouse can burn bright so that when we're in a storm at sea, the Spirit of God can get that lighthouse going and draw us and call us back into safe harbor. And that's why knowing this book is one of the reasons, many reasons, knowing this book is so incredibly important. But when we're in difficulty, immerse yourself in the scriptures. And, you know, if you don't know where to start, start with the Psalms. The Psalms... The Psalms, you read the Psalms, These, the Psalms are the songs that David wrote when he was going through all the stuff that we've talked about this morning. He's being rejected by this person and by that person, and he's being hunted down, he's having spears thrown at him, he's facing all of these challenges, and in the midst of all of that situation, he's starting to write, he's writing his Psalms. Why are you so downcast within me? You know, it's like, well, I'm not surprised, man, you're having spears thrown at you. I'd be downcast. You know, my enemies are coming against me. They're overwhelmingly, Lord... Answer my prayer, answer my cry, come quickly to me in my distress. And when we read the Psalms, when we're facing those kind of things, we read it and we go, how did he know? How did he know? I was reading the Psalm just last night, I was going, how did he know? It's like, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly what I'm going through right now. Great. So what we do is we read the Psalms and we read the Psalms and we read them and read them and read them and reread them until we hear our own voice being echoed back to us off the pages of Scripture. And when we hear our hearts cry on the pages of Scripture, we know that we've found a safe landing place. And then what we do is, like David did, we inquire of the Lord, and we immerse ourselves in the Scriptures, and we pray over the Scriptures, and we cry out to the Lord using the Scriptures, and we say to the Lord, Lord, will you give me a word? Will you guide me? Will you show me the way that I should go? Will your good spirit lead me on level ground? Use the scriptures to teach me and to show me the way in which I should go. Uh, and so we read the scriptures. Pray what you read. Pray what you read until you hear the Lord guiding you and counseling you. Um, find the places of strength through his word. Find those places of strength through worship. I really do need to stop. Um, will we face challenge in life? Will we face difficulty? Um, absolutely. Did David face difficulty and rejection? Yes. Did Jesus face opposition and rejection? Yes. Do we think it's going to be any less likely for any of us who've surrendered our lives and given our lives to follow Jesus, that it's going to be any different for us? Of course it's not. We too are going to face opposition and rejection. Um, let's just be a people who learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord in the midst of that, in the face of our rejection and our opposition. Let's be a people who immerse ourselves in worship and let's be a people who immerse ourselves in the word of God. Okay, why don't you stand?